This is Thanksgiving week, and this morning we're going to be in Colossians chapter 2, so if you have a Bible, you can uh, find your way there. It's, of course, Thursday. We will celebrate Thanksgiving, and that is the food holiday, right? That's kind of how we think of it. It's the food holiday. I've never heard anyone say, I just can't wait for Thursday so that I can uh, tell people how thankful I am. Um, it's always, I can't wait for Thursday because I get to eat, and then you fill in the blank list of the things that we eat once or twice a year. Uh, that we act like are the greatest foods on earth, but we only eat them uh, a couple of times a year for some reason. I don't know. Uh, there are two kinds of people in the world. Um, some would say lost and saved, and that's true. Uh, there are two other kinds of people in the world. That is chicken and dressing people and stuffing people. And um, if you are born uh, in the southern United States or the pan from the panhandle up to around Kentucky, you probably call it chicken and dressing. And if you're from South Florida, like my wife, or uh, New York and New Jersey, like my in-laws, you probably call it stuffing. Right, and so um, I'm a chicken and dressing person. Uh, by the way, those two foods are not even the same thing. They don't belong on the same planet, and they really don't belong on the same plate. But, um, but if you're a stuffing person, more power to you, right? I uh, hope you have a great Thanksgiving. But we like all those foods, right? Sweet potato casserole, the homemade macaroni and cheese, they're just my favorites. You've got your own favorites, uh, the turkey and uh, deep fried or smoked or baked or however it is you like it. And the food is what we get excited about, and that's okay. We like to eat. We like to enjoy the fellowship with family and seeing, uh, seeing folks. But this particular holiday represents something that's fundamental to the Christian life. The actual giving of thanks and the grateful heart is like Christianity 101. We don't tend to talk about it a lot. You probably won't go into a Christian bookstore this week and find one of the top ten bestsellers being a book on being thankful. It's just not something that we get that excited about. If we're to be real honest, I think it's because we find it a little boring of a subject. Because I don't, think we, I don't think we think we struggle with being thankful. I think if we went around the room this morning and took a private poll and, on a scale of one, and said on a scale of 1 to 10, how grateful are you to God? I think most of us would even write down somewhere between 8, 9, or 10. There'd probably be a lot of 10s on there. We don't think we're ungrateful people. We think we're very grateful people. But for some reason, both the Old and the New Testament constantly spurs us to be thankful. And if it was just our natural disposition to be that way, I'm not so sure that the Apostle Paul and other people that penned Scripture would have felt so prompted by the Spirit and been led so much by the Spirit to pen words that are constantly commanding us to and encouraging us to give thanks. But no one thinks they're unthankful. You know, I've never had a, a counseling situation or, a, or anything where somebody came into my office and said, you know, I struggle with being an ungrateful punk, and I really need help with that. Nobody thinks that way. That's what other people are. Now, I hear that, right? We talk about that. They're so ungrateful. Those kids are so ungrateful. Those people over there are so un It's something that it's over there, and it's not something that we view as being in here. But I think it's something we wrestle with whether we realize it or not. I think in gratitude... It's something that we easily spot in others, and we fail to usually spot in ourselves, but we struggle with it. And if we didn't, the Bible probably wouldn't address it as much as, we, as it does, number one. And number two, we would be a lot easier to get along with. <laughs> we would fuss less, we would be less argumentative, uh, and we would be a lot, have a lot less problems in our life if we were as grateful or as thankful or if half as much as we tend to naturally think we are. Now, God's Word, like I said, addresses this topic of thankfulness or gratitude, thanksgiving a lot, Right? And it's clear from God's word that this is supposed to be a character trait 
a character trait, an attitude, and an action that's supposed to kind of color all of the Christian life, particularly our thanksgiving towards God. In fact, the Bible teaches that Christians are supposed to be abounding in, flourishing in, overflowing in thankfulness. If anyone in the world should be thankful, if anyone in the world should really wrap their arms around a holiday like Thanksgiving and really own it, if anyone in the world should walk around with a, a, a spring in their step and a song in their heart of gratitude, it's the Christian. It's the Christian of all people. And if you're not a Christian this morning, right, if you're not a Christian, I think you'll see as we walk through some text this morning that God's word, uh, where, it te- where it actually teaches that Thanksgiving is supposed to be rooted in and springs from and how you too can have a grateful heart. So today we're going to be in the book of Colossians. <coughs> Colossians chapter 2 is where we're going to start, verses 6 and 7. Colossians 2, 6 and 7. And we're going to look at a few passages actually in Colossians because this topic is all through the book. And I think we can learn some things from this book about being thankful. Now, Colossians was written by the Apostle Paul actually about four or five years ago. We studied this book together and we went through the, all, all the chapters uh, over about 15 or 16 weeks together. Many of you weren't here then, but uh, it's one of my favorite books. And there were... The problem in Colossae is that there were some false teachers that were, had arisen and that were trying to lead people astray um, and tell them basically they needed more than Jesus. Hey, it's great that you have Jesus. It's great that you believe Jesus, but you also need this, right? You also need circumcision, and you also need to observe these days and months, and you also need to do this. And it's not enough that you believe in Jesus. You need to believe in Jesus and this. People like this still exist today. It's the Jesus plus people. But we know the Bible teaches that salvation is rooted in Christ and Christ alone, that Christ is all we need, and that he is supreme over everything, and and, and, and he is the one we need to put our faith and trust in. So Colossians is a book all about the supremacy of Christ and showing us how Jesus is the one we ultimately need. And the interesting thing about Colossians is when you go through it, all four chapters, thankfulness or thanksgiving is mentioned in all four chapters, even though it's not really the theme of the book. Like we would say joy is kind of the theme of Philippians. Well, the theme of Colossians is the supremacy of Christ, and yet thankfulness colors every chapter, every page. Why is that? Because thankfulness flows from the book that exalts the supremacy of Christ, just like thankfulness and gratitude should flow from the heart that exalts the supremacy of Christ. So I'm going to show you that thanksgiving should abound in the heart of the Christian this morning. And I want to show you, as we walk through this, we're going to talk about three, three things that characterize genuine Christian Thanksgiving. So look with me starting in Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7. Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7. It's on the screen for you this morning. The Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Abounding, that means overflowing in thanksgiving. So he wants the Colossians to see all that they have in Christ, and if they understand who they are in Christ, that they'll be less likely to be led astray into some of these false teachings that we mentioned that are, that are coming into Colossae. And so he says, listen, listen, you received Christ Jesus. That's how he characterizes them. Just as you received Christ Jesus, that's their conversion. That's when they placed their faith and trust in Jesus. And he says, so walk in him. So it's not just conversion. Now he's talking about their Christian life. Walking in Christ, living the life that you should live in Christ. Listen, you've received Christ, he's in your life, you carry him with you throughout your life, and you should live all of your life under his lordship, in obedience to him, and in light of who he is as Savior and Lord. So he says, you've received, so I'm telling you to walk in him, and then he tells them something else that's happened to them. It's all, notice it's all past tense, rooted, 
built up in him, established in the faith. These are things that are true. Hey, Colossae, he's saying these are things that are so. You're rooted in Christ. You're built up in Christ. He's the only one that we can be built up in and established in the faith. All of this is a picture of spiritual maturity. It's a picture of spiritual health. It's a picture of spiritual vitality. He says, so walk in him just as you received him, just as you were taught. And then there's one last characteristic, abounding in thanksgiving. He puts that right in there with their very identity as those who have received Christ and are supposed to walk in Christ. They're supposed to abound in thanksgiving. This is supposed to be a preeminent thing in the Christian life. A heart and life overflowing with gratitude is commanded right in the midst of a simple exhortation to spiritual growth and faithfulness. Because gratitude is Christianity 101. Just as it was expected that they would walk and live in Christ and living out their faith in Him, it was expected that their heart and life would overflow, is what that word means, would abound with thanksgiving. Now here's the thing. Thanksgiving and gratitude is sort of a spiritual thermometer in our lives. Here we see it's supposed to characterize us as we walk with Christ. And I believe when we fail to walk out our faith as we should, we also tend to wane in praise and in thanksgiving and in gratitude to God. So it's like a thermometer. It kind of helps us to see where we're at. Like you've got in your car, you've got your, all the gauges in your car that tell you what is going on in your car and can tell you what's wrong in your car. And a little check engine light comes on when something's wrong. And if we don't think it's that big a deal, we just keep going, right? We just keep riding. But if smoke starts billowing out from underneath the hood, then we know something is wrong, right? It, nothing's wrong with the check engine light. Something is wrong with the car. And if the check engine light's not on and that's happening, something's wrong with both, right? So well, then we know something is wrong because some things are a surefire indicator that something's up. And our level of gratitude and thanksgiving to God in our life and how we live that out in our words and our actions and our prayers is a thermometer it shows us a lot about how close we are to God no matter what we may say. It's a dead giveaway. In fact, a lack of gratitude toward God is a characteristic of unbelief. Did you know that? That's how big a deal this is. It's such a big deal that one of the, way the ways the Apostle Paul describes people who do not know Jesus, who have not repented of sin, who have not placed their faith in Christ, whose lives are characterized by unbelief and rebellion against God, one of the primary ways he characterizes them is unthankful towards God. Listen to Romans 1. Romans 1.21. It's on the screen for you, I believe. The Apostle Paul writes, For although they knew God... They knew who God was. <coughs> they knew they should believe in God. They knew he was the creator. They knew that there was a God. They did not honor him as God. Right? They didn't give him the praise, the honor, the glory he was due. They didn't treat God like he's God. Or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. And he goes on. He goes on and on and on in Romans 1. Just describing this state of unbelief and where this progressive state of rejecting and rebelling against God leads. Think about it for a second. One of the ways Paul describes those who have rejected God is that they don't give thanks to him. That's a big deal. That's a major spiritual indicator. Now, also, here's another thing Scripture points out to us. It's also possible to thank God with your mouth, but in your heart be very far from him. Just as it's possible to say, hey, Jesus, you're Lord, but with your, deni with your life to actually deny that fact. It's possible to, to give praise and honor to Jesus with the lips, but with our life to live like he's a nobody. In the same way, it's possible to pray with thanks to God, but not have a grateful heart. 
Jesus told a parable in Luke 18. I'm going to read part of it for you from Luke 18, 9 through 12. It's the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee. Two men go to the temple to pray, right, and to pour out their heart to God. One walks away justified before God. One walks away dead in his sin, unjustified. Listen to verses 9 through 12 of Luke 18. This is Jesus' story. He, Jesus, also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So he's talking to the Pharisees who were trusting in themselves that they were righteous and didn't need righteousness that comes from God. They thought they had righteousness within themselves. And because of that, they treated others with contempt. In other words, they treated others like they were less than them because they thought they were better than these other people because they lived more moralistic lives. Verse 10, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Don't you love Jesus' tactics? Right? He, he's not real subtle with his stories. He's talking to a group of Pharisees. I got a story to tell you. Now, there's a Pharisee and a tax. I mean, it's just kind of like, it's kind of like me coming in the room. So let me tell you a story about there was a Baptist. And, you know, it's like, it's, a, it's, a, it's not subtle, right? <laughs> Pharisee and the, and the tax collector. Verse 11. The Pharisee goes into the temple and he says, standing by himself, prayed thus. He prayed this way. God, I thank you. Sounds like he's off to a good start. That I'm not like other men. Extortioners unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Imagine this, you know, he's like, <laughs> I'm not like this guy. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. Now the other guy, he goes on to say that he just pounds his chest and begs for mercy from God, realizing that he's not worthy of it. But this Pharisee in the story thanks God that he's not like other men. He is thankful to God for his being better than others. His thanksgiving wasn't genuine, but rather he's reveling in himself. Who's he really thankful to? Himself. Just because you put God's name on it doesn't mean it's real, right? He's just tagging God's name on it. Thank you, God, that I'm better than these people. Thank you, God, that I'm self-righteous is really what he's saying. Thank you, God, that I'm more moral than these people. Thank you, God, that I am able to earn favor with you, right? It's all focused on himself. It's not really worship that's happening here. It's idolatry. It's the worship of himself. His proud heart is revealing that it's his own righteousness he's focused on, not God. And we can be very self-focused, and there can be a faux thanksgiving that if we're not careful that we can fall into and that is common among those who are religious. You know, my four-year-old, we like to pray with him at night. And he says his own prayers now, and his prayers is usually just a list of things he's thankful for. We could probably learn a lot from a four-year-old in the way they pray. For some reason, that's not the way we modeled prayer for him. You know, I had a little prayer that we always say with him. Thought he would just pick up with that, but he's got his own thing going, right? And so he just starts, God, thank you, and then he reads a list. And there's all kinds of things that make that list, right? Sometimes toys at school make that list. Sometimes friends at school makes that list. Sometimes the same thing makes the list four or five times, right? So I have to teach him, like, you know, Jesus said, don't you just have to say the same thing over and over. But, I mean, he, he, like, he feels like his prayers need to be long, so he'll go on and on and on and on. And some nights he doesn't feel like it, and he just keeps it real short. He's like, I'm only going to thank God for one thing tonight. So the other night, he, I said, okay. God, thank you for me. Amen. <laughs> now, to be honest, me usually makes the list, right? But then I'm usually on the list. Mommy's usually on the list. Siblings are usually on the list. But that particular night, it was, it was just me on the list. And we laugh and all that sort of stuff. But he's just being honest. He's four. A lot of honesty there, right? He's thankful for himself. I don't know. He might go up, grow up to write self-help books or something. But um, like, what am I raising? Um, but he hasn't come to understand yet. Here's the thing. 
We have come to understand, but we can tend to be very self-focused and very proud even in what we call our thanksgiving just as this particular guy was. And there's the heart of someone who is religious but self-righteous thinks they're grateful to God, but they're not really. When examined closely, everything's actually revolving around them. Now, while a lack of thanksgiving is a characteristic of unbelief and while a faux thanksgiving is a real possibility in the, li in the lives of anyone, especially the religious, the believer should be filled with thanksgiving and we should abound in gospel-rich, Christ-exalting thanksgiving. And since we're to abound in that, as Colossians 2, 7 tells us, abound in thanksgiving, overflow in thanksgiving, let me show you from Colossians because Paul attacks this topic in multiple areas, includes information about this topic that I think reveals to us what, the, what that's supposed to look like. What are the characteristics of this abundant thanksgiving? What does it look like? And in light of that, how do we live? Number one, the first characteristic of this abundant thanksgiving is that it is rooted in what God has done in Christ. It's not rooted in what we have done. It's rooted in what God has done. Notice verse 6. He starts with, as you have, therefore you have, as you have received Christ, right? He starts there. He starts with conversion. And true heartfelt thanksgiving towards God is a first response, at first a response to what God has done in Christ. Look with me at Colossians 1, 9 through 14. It's going to be on the screen for you. Colossians 1, 9 through 14. I'm going to read all these verses, so hang with me. And so from the day we heard, Paul writes, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So he says, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of the will of God so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. I want you, if you're filled with the knowledge of the word, will of God, then you can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord and you can be what? Fully pleasing to him. Then he begins to describe what this life looks like of being filled with the will of God and being pleasing to God. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, he says. Verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. For all endurance and patience with joy. Verse 12, giving thanks to God the Father. So a part of this life that he's talking about of living in the will of God and being strengthened by God so to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord is a thankful heart. But then he begins to explain where this thankfulness comes from. He says, giving thanks to God the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So in chapter 1, he's telling them, I want you to know God's will so that you can walk in a way that pleases him. Here's what that looks like. Bearing fruit, being strengthened so you can have endurance, patience, and joy, and giving thanks. And listen, here's why you should give thanks. It's, it's very obvious. This Father, God the Father, has done this. And he begins to just explain what God has done in Christ through the gospel. So verses 12 through 14 show the foundation of this thanks we are to give, the good news of what God has done in Christ. Look what he says. He says, he has qualified you. It means literally he has fit you for. He has fit us for. We were unfit. He made us fit. You were disqualified and unqualified to enter heaven or his presence, and he's qualified you for both and me. That's what it means. We were nobodies. He, he made us somebody. We were outside of Christ. He brought us in. We were not qualified to be his, and he has made us his. This is what he has done in Christ. He qualified us. It's like when somebody goes to get a loan, and they're not good for the loan for whatever reason. They don't have enough credit history or whatever. Somebody comes in with a rich credit history and says, I'll co-sign the loan with them. And they go, now you're qualified. Not because of what you've done, because their name's on the line. In the same way, we are, in a similar way, we are disqualified, unqualified, 
unfit for salvation, Jesus steps in, God steps in, the Father steps in and says, through Christ, I will qualify you. But not only that, he says he has delivered us. That's a warfare term signifying danger. We were in danger. We were in distress. We were in darkness. We were lost. We were bound. We were blind. The Bible says, outside of Christ, we were children of the devil, not of the light, in need of rescue. But God has delivered us from our plight. He has delivered us. He has transferred us, he says. This word pictures moving from one land to another. <clears throat> he's taken us out of our old life and given us a new life, in other words. He's taken us out of the kingdom of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of Christ. We have a whole new life and reality in Jesus. And then he goes, he, he taglines it all. In him, we have redemption and forgiveness. In other words, you're no longer a slave. You've been bought out of that. You're no longer a slave to sin. You're a son. You're a child. You're a daughter of God. And you're no longer condemned for your sins. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You've been forgiven. He's washed your sin clean. And all of this, every single piece of this is rooted in what God has done. He has delivered. He has transferred. In him we have redemption. In him we have forgiveness. Not a single time does Paul exalt them or us or himself. It's all rooted in what God has done, not what we have done. The believer's thanksgiving is rooted in what God has done in Christ. And true gratefulness to God begins there. If we don't realize what God has done in Christ, if we haven't received and believed upon what God has done in Christ, we can't experience true heartfelt gratitude because apart from Christ, what does he say? Romans 1, we're, we don't thank him like we should. We don't honor him as we should. We, you can't give God proper honor and thanks. You can't give God proper thanksgiving apart from from receiving what he's done on your behalf in Christ. Listen, life's hard. And you're going to have good days and bad days. We have good seasons and bad seasons. Life is filled with difficulty. But if you are in Christ, you have been qualified, transferred, delivered, redeemed, and forgiving, and your heart should swell with gratitude in every season, if nothing else, just for that. Your mouth should fill with praise just for that. Because our gratitude is not rooted in how we feel. He didn't say give thanks because you feel like it. He didn't say give thanks because you had a good day. He didn't say give thanks because you had a good year. He said give thanks to God the Father because of what He's done for you in Christ. It's not rooted in how we feel, but what He's done. And that's how we can be grateful and thankful in all seasons. When our hearts are not filled with gratitude and our mouths with praise and thanksgiving, it's a sign that we're not living in light of what God has done in Christ. It's a sign that we've moved off center and that our lives are not centered on the good news of Jesus and what he's done for us. And understanding that that's where it's rooted, that it's not about what I've done but what God's done for us in Christ, that slays our pride and our self-righteousness and our self-sufficiency and all those things are enemies and are poison to thanksgiving. Self-sufficiency. People who think they're self-sufficient don't have need to give thanks. People who think they're self-righteous have no need to give thanks. People who are proud have no reason to give thanks. But it's not rooted in what I've done. Paul didn't say be thankful you're a good person. He didn't say be thankful that you're self-sufficient or that you're good-looking or that you have your whole life ahead of you. No, be thankful because you were unqualified and disqualified. God qualified you and transferred you. He redeemed you. He forgave you. It's a pride-slaying thankfulness. And it helps us and it fuels us in our trials and in those difficult seasons because our thanks is rooted in God's work in Christ. And we know difficulty and pain will come, but what God has done in Christ for us will never change. 
It's a fact. It's, it's, it's solid. It's solid ground. We may go through dark times, but we can be thankful that in in the, we can be thankful in those dark times because of what God's done in Christ that reveals God's heart for us. And so that we might not understand the season that we're in, but we understand the person who's walking with us through that season, and we can be grateful for what he's done then and know that even though I don't know what's going on now or where this is headed, I know the heart of the one who's with me in the midst of this, so I can be grateful because I just, I just know who God is. And I know he means good towards me because he has shown me that in Jesus. I'm telling you, our roots have to be in what God has done in Christ or we will not be a grateful people. Life's too hard. Life's too hard. You'll turn on God. You'll blame God. We'll turn our backs on God if our gratefulness and our gratitude is not rooted in the gospel, what God has done in Christ. So, if Christian Thanksgiving is rooted in what God has done in Christ, man, we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. If we're growing stale in that and we don't find ourselves swelling with thanksgiving when we gather in worship or we gather around the dinner table or whatever it is, we haven't been preaching the gospel to ourselves. Man, I've had a bad day. Preach to yourself. But I'm not in hell. So that's a pretty good day, right? I'm above ground and not in hell. And I deserve both the other. We have something to be thankful for at all times and all seasons if we really believe that we, without Christ, we're who the Bible says we are and that we're only in Christ because what the Bible says God has done. Here's a second characteristic of genuine Christian thanksgiving. It is, and it should be, it's cultivated and expressed within the community of faith. We cultivate it and express it through the community of faith. Look at Colossians 3, verses 12 through 17. Colossians 3, verses 12 through 17. Let me read it to you. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. I love that. It says this is who you are. You're God's chosen one in Christ. You're holy. You're beloved. It says put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you. If you're wondering what the standard for forgiveness is in the Christian life, that's it. So you also must forgive. Right? Because he's forgiven us. Verse 14. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Makes everything work. Right? Verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Be the umpires, what that word means. Let it call the shots. <coughs> to which indeed you were called in one body. Christ has made peace by the blood of his cross. We have peace with God. We have peace with one another. And we've been brought into one body, the church. Notice the corporate Emphasis here. And he says, and be thankful. Right there with forgiving one another, right there with patience, all these one another's, and he says, be thankful. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, this whole section is very corporately faced. It's, it's what's supposed to characterize the community of faith. Yeah, it should characterize our individual hearts because we make up the community of faith. But there's a big emphasis here on our corporate gathering and how we do community together. Notice we are to forgive as the Lord has forgiven us. We're to put on love. We're to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. We've been called in one body. There's the unification of the church. Christ has made peace and his peace should rule over the heart of the church and over the believer. And then he says, be thankful. What's the context? The corporate activity of the church, the community. 
In other words, thankfulness should characterize us as a community, not just as individuals, and this should manifest itself when we gather. And in the gathering of saints, gratitude is cultivated as we dive into God's word together. He says we are to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. And yes, that means in our individual lives, but also it means corporately when we gather together. That's why we open the Bible and we teach from it. The phrase means let God's word be at home. That's what it means to dwell in you richly. It should have a home in you. It should be welcome in your heart and life. It's not an unwanted guest. It's a welcome resident, right? Guests and residents, there's differences. They have different rights. For instance, you're a resident of Florida, you get discounts in some of our parks and things like that. You're a guest, not so much, right? Pay your tolls, go down there and pay your expensive ticket and all that sort of stuff. A guest, you can ask to leave. You can decide when they can come in. You have them over, you can decide what rooms they go in. A resident, that's their place. They do what they want. They've got free reign of the place. He says, you need to let the word dwell in you richly. Be at home in you richly. So he's not just saying, read the Bible, listen to preaching, Quote some scriptures. No, 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 no. He said, he's talking about our attitude towards the word and how we approach the word and the fact that it's supposed to have a welcome, it's supposed to be a welcomeness in our heart and life to it and that it can rule and reign over every square inch of our life. So the question is, is God's word at home in our life and do we treat it like it lives there? Because this gathering should be like a garden where we plant God's word every week and that it should be well received and bearing much fruit, including thanksgiving to God. Notice he says, though, the mo said, so as we do this, we're supposed to teach one another. It dwells in us richly, and then we teach one another. See, the expression is corporate. Do you see that? It's, all, it's focused corporately. We, it, teaching one another in our singing. With psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Ephesians 5 gives the same fruit for being filled with the Holy Spirit. It says, be filled with the Holy Spirit, teaching one another psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Colossians, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teaching one another psalms, hymns, and spiritual song. Because you can't be filled with the Spirit if you're not filled and the Word's not at home in you and you're not filled with the Word. There's, you have, you, they go together. The sword of the Spirit. And as we receive God's Word and let it be welcome in our heart and in our life, we're filled with God's Spirit as we, as we rest in Him and rely on Him for power. And as we do this, we're supposed to teach one another the Word partially through singing. That's why we have corporate singing when we gather. It's not just... Because we like music. Because God commands us in the scriptures to teach one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. But notice, so what, you, what we sing matters, by the way. The information we sing about matters because we we're teaching through it. So if it's wrong, we shouldn't sing it because we're teaching through it, right? So we have to be careful what we sing. Is it true? Is it right? Well, that's a little bit off. It's a long way off. But not just what we sing, but how we sing. He says, with thankfulness in your hearts. That word thankfulness is the Greek word charis. It's the Greek word for grace. It can be translated grace or thankfulness. So some commentators think he's saying, let your hearts be fixated on the grace of God in Christ. But <coughs> like what one person said, maybe it's that because of the theme of thanksgiving in this passage and the fact that translators have chosen to translate it this way, maybe the idea is that we are thankful for God's grace in Christ as we sing and teach one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. It seems to me as we gather around the word and welcome it in our hearts that it's supposed to cultivate gratitude in our hearts. And this is a place we are to express that gratitude to God through thankful-hearted singing and expressing thanks as part of the unified body of Christ who have been given his peace. And I believe if we fail to welcome the word in our hearts, we will fail to respond to God with gratitude. 
It's like a cycle. So when we come together, if we act more like critics than thankful worshipers, right, we're, mess, we're missing something. We're missing something. When we come in with our mouths closed or our arms crossed, our eyes half asleep as opposed to coming in wanting to lift our voices in gratefulness and gratitude to God, something's off. Because this is a place we come to express thanksgiving, not a place to vent, not a place to tune out, not a place to, to fold our arms and wait to be impressed. This is a place to come together and thank and praise God through worship and to teach others as we sing together so that we can all grow in thanksgiving together. Because we need each other. Thanksgiving, according to this passage, I believe is communal in nature. We grow in it in community. We express it in community. You cannot properly express thanksgiving without being a part of the community of faith. And something will be missing. We are meant to experience God in community, and we are meant to respond to God in community. doesn't mean there's not a place for private devotion and all that. But it does mean that there is supposed to be a big place for our, com our community coming together to worship. See, church is a participatory people. Glad I got that out. I was afraid I wasn't going to be able to say that without spitting a lot. It's a participatory people. It's a place to participate, not spectate, right? We didn't sell tickets to get in here today. There's no show to see. We don't come to watch. We come to worship. We don't come to observe, but to stir one another to love and good deeds, according to Hebrews 10. It's why we sing together, right? Where else do you do that other than to be entertained? And it's okay if we respond. It's okay if we sing together. And it's okay if we amen together. And it's okay if we nod our heads. And it's okay if it, all that is okay because this is a participatory service amen. when we come together. See, somebody got it. Yeah. <laughs> Been missing my amen, buddy. If you aren't a Christian, though, and you're just checking things out, that's different, right? I get it. But if you know Jesus... We're supposed to sing and participate in, listen, engage. Like this whole coming together for these couple of hours on a Sunday, man, it's for our good, it's for the good of others, and we need you to participate. We need your conversation, and we need your fellowship, and we need your voice singing in gratitude to God. It does something in our hearts. So, if it's supposed to be cultivated and expressed in the community of faith, we need to pursue faithfulness to the faith community. We need to pursue it, run after it, and throw ourselves into the people of God, understanding that this is one of the primary places that thanksgiving is cultivated and expressed in our life. Third characteristic of true Christian thanksgiving. It is practiced, should be practiced, in all that we do, in all that we say, in all that we pray. We read verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. A distinct characteristic of the kind of abounding thanksgiving that Paul encourages in Colossians is that it flavors everything in life. It's present in all seasons, at all times, in everything we do or say. Notice, he says, whatever we do, word or deed, it's to be done in the name of the Lord Jesus. To do everything in his name is to live life as under his lordship, submitting to his will, and living for his glory in every action and every conversation. It means Jesus gets reign over every square inch. That I live every moment of my life, every deed I do, every word I speak in absolute recognition to the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's what it means. It's like I carry that banner into everything. Into work, right? Into the movies, 
right, into my family, right, to bed at night when I go to sleep, when I rise, when I wake up in the morning, every conversation that comes out of my mouth, there's like a banner waving over my life that says Jesus is Lord, and the way I live my life should reveal that. Now, that's convicting. And as we live this way, he says it's to be done while giving thanks. In other words, it's not like a drudgery. It's not a heavy flag we carry. We do it with a thankful attitude, a grateful attitude, because we understand what God has done in Christ that we talked about earlier. But don't miss this. That also means that it's supposed to be thanksgiving. Thankfulness is supposed to be in all these moments. Whatever you do in word or deed, you are to be thankful. We're supposed to go, the attitude and the expression of thankfulness to God in our life should carry, go with us through everything. All that we do say, as we'll see in a moment, or pray. A few weeks ago, the kids trick-or-treating. They're at the age now where they love to trick-or-treat. And I'm at the stage where I'm trying to teach them to be grateful, right? To be thankful. So they're at every house, you know, and they just want to grab their candy and go. And I'm trying to, no, 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 no. You've got to go up there and you need to say thank you. It's not enough just to say trick or treat and then get your, you've got to say, th say thank you, right? And I'm having to, it's like, it's pain, you know, thank you, you know. It's like it's painful for them to do that. And I'm, I'm like, this is easy, right? Some, you're showing up to somebody's door unannounced and they're putting candy in a bag for you. This is an easy thing to be thankful for, Right? But it's supposed to come, I'm, what I want them to see is in everything, every house, I don't want us to be lazy, every person that puts a piece of candy in there, tell them thank you. And God wants us to know that in every deed and in every action, we're supposed to be thankful to him. Every moment of every day is supposed to be colored with thankfulness. Not just one Thursday a year. Imagine if we lived that way. <laughs> Imagine if as you went to work, it's sought to do your job in a way that shouts Jesus is Lord that you also did it with gratitude and thankfulness to God. Thankful to God that you have a job, if nothing else. Right? Say, I don't like my job. Spend some time with someone who's having trouble finding a job. You'll like it more. Imagine if we parent that way. Doing it in the name of Jesus and thankful that we get to be parents. Just think about all your different roles in life, all the different things, and what gratitude would do to your attitude in those moments. But Colossians 4.2, Colossians 4.2, he goes on to say, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So even when we pray, thanksgiving is supposed to come in. Now listen, <clears throat> there's gratitude that's kind of like swells up in our heart, and then there's thanksgiving. And it's not thanksgiving if you don't give it. So he says we were abounding in thanksgiving. And here he says, talks about with thanksgiving. We have to, have to give it. Well, I'm thankful in my heart. Then you'll give it, right? It's kind of like the person says, oh, I'm generous, but I don't give. Well, you're not generous. You're, you're deceived. <laughs> uh, I'm thankful. I just don't ever tell God that. I don't ever sing songs of thanksgiving. I don't ever spend time thinking even prayer. But I, he knows. He knows. He knows my heart. <clears throat> yeah, he knows your heart. It's been revealed by our mouth. Right? We're supposed to, we give thanks. Yes, we're supposed to have hearts that are thankful. And we're supposed to express it outwardly here in prayer through thanksgiving. It's supposed to color all of our prayer, prayer life. Yeah, he wants steadfast prayer. He wants us to be watchful in prayer. But he wants us to be thankful in prayer as well. It should be a disciplined part of our prayer life. Now, here's the thing. If this should characterize Christian thanksgiving... <coughs> This whole idea that it's supposed to be in every word and action and, and prayer and that it's supposed to color all of our life. 
then we need to be purposeful and intentional with our thanks. Right? I mean, we, there's some discipline here. There's some purposefulness. There's some intentionality that needs to happen here. Because gratitude is a choice. Thanksgiving is a choice. Thanks to God starts with understanding, yeah, who he is, who I am, what God's done, what God is doing. And we can't understand all that and truly trust him and it not stoke the fire of gratitude in our lives. That's why we have to remember that it's rooted in what he's done in Christ. But if thanksgiving hasn't been giving, if it hasn't been expressed, something's wrong. We have to give it. We have to intentionally choose to give thanksgiving. Christians should be the most thankful people on earth. And when Thursday rolls around, I hope you gather around the table with family or friends. And as you do, I hope your heart swells with thanksgiving as you think about what God's done for you in Christ and all the ways he's blessed you. And with your mouth, I hope when you pray that you give thanks to God and whoever leads that prayer that they do. And you, man, you're right there in your heart in unison with them. But not just this week. Every day, we need to remember that the Christian heart is a thankful heart. That the Christian mouth should pour forth in praise and thanksgiving to God. And that it all begins with what he's done in Christ. That's the gospel, the good news of what God has done in Christ. That through the death of Christ, through his resurrection, and our faith in Christ, we can be qualified and delivered and transferred and redeemed and forgiven. It's rooted in Christ and what he's done for us on the cross and his resurrection. What God the Father has done in sending his son, right? That we're about to celebrate through and look to throughout this Advent season. That's the foundation. The foundation has to be laid first. So if you're here this morning, you struggle with always grumbling, complaining to God and others, complete lack of gratitude in your life, ask yourself, do I have the foundation from which to be thankful to God? God would love to lay that foundation in your life today if it hasn't already been laid. And believer, are you building on that foundation by cultivating and expressing thanksgiving in the community of faith? Oh, you're here, but are you participating at, at full notch? On a scale of 1 to 10, where are you? Are you, all, how do you? Do you engage in the service? Do you wade through it? How do we participate? We shouldn't waste a Sunday. And as we leave here today, will we choose to let our thanksgiving color all of life? Actions, words, prayers, seasons, and all that we do, just as we do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, or we should, will we do it with thankfulness in our hearts to God? That's my encouragement to you today, is that we will realize that this is a great holiday. It's a lot of fun, but really, it's supposed to be a characteristic and a trait of the Christian heart that needs to be cultivated and expressed throughout our life.